Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Todd Phillips' new dramatic thriller, Joker. The film tells the story of Arthur Fleck, a would-be comedian who is struggling to find his way in the fractured society of Gotham City. Earning his living as a clown for hire, he seems trapped somewhere between apathy and cruelty until one bad decision starts him on the path to becoming the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. In addition to Joker, Mr. Phillips' credits include the feature films Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch, School for Scoundrels, The Hangover, Due Date, and War Dogs. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Phillips spoke with director Ivan Reitman about filming Joker. Listen on for their conversation. Hello, thank you. Either. <laughs> this is a thrill for me because Ivan was the producer on my first two movies. The only reason I make movies is because Ivan Reitman discovered me at Sundance Film Festival and asked Thanks me... Thanks to my son, Jason, actually. He said... <laughs> Jason. It was 20 years ago. He said, you should come over to Sundance. I just saw this documentary. <laughs> That's Frat. right. Frat House. And then <laughs> Ivan came up to me and he goes, can you write? And I lied and said, yeah, I write. The only thing I had written at that point was the narration for my documentaries. <laughs> and then you told me this idea of a movie you always wanted to make. Uh, and and uh, it was called Road Trip. And he said, he said, oh, do this quick, because I know we're here to talk about this. He goes, you know that part in Animal House? I loved Animal House growing up. Who didn't? He goes, you know that part in Animal House where they go on the road trip? He goes, I always thought that could be its own movie. And I was like, yeah, OK, I could do that. And we went off and wrote it. And, and he did. <laughs> But it's amazing, uh, you know, to sit and watch this amazing movie. I, I believe it's one of those kinds of films that you're going to remember where you were the first time you saw it. It's really an amazing piece of work. Thank you. And starting from those comedies, I mean, the most obvious question as someone who's mostly worked in comedy is, so how'd you get here? What, what you know... This is a really difficult movie in all kinds of ways. Difficult for you and difficult for the audience. And, um, you know, I, I never saw it as big as a leap as a lot of people do. I think my comedies, as I got more successful in comedies and got to do more and more of what I wanted to do, they got darker and darker in a way. Um, but also, for me, the whole approach of it was so much in comedies, at least my comedies were about groups of people, doing movies about groups of people. And I really wanted to do a movie about one person, like a deep dive character study. And um, that's really where it started all from. But, but how do you make the leap from this to that? I mean, we were just talking outside. You know, it's all, it's all storytelling. It's all beginning, middle, and an end. Um, it's all really what, what is a director, purveyor of tone. You kind of decide your tone, and you, you just go for it. That's so brave. I mean, you're dealing with a character... You know, this is really a, a character study, period. And uh, in the world of the comic, you know, of comic universe. And I mean, how did you get Warner Brothers to say yes to this? <laughs> that's a better, but, but that's a that's a better question, probably. Which is, um, 
So I went to a, a great old school producer told me over lunch one day, he said, you know, when you make a studio a billion and a half, two billion dollars like we had with The Hangover and a couple other movies wedged in there, he goes, you, you, earned, you earn a lot of goodwill. He goes, but in this town, goodwill is perishable and you have to use it. And I thought that was really smart. So I took all that goodwill and I went there with this idea um, and uh, they resisted it still, obviously. It's, it was a wild idea because we're taking a property that they owned it wasn't like I could go anywhere else with that idea. They owned the character. But really, the whole, the whole pitch was, because I was being ridiculous, I pitched them a label, not just one movie. I said, you know, we should start, we already, I go, we should start this thing at Warner's. I've, I've been at Warner's for 15 years, so I do feel like I've worked there. But uh, I said, you know, we should start a label called DC Black, where you do these stripped-down character studies of, of uh, my idea was of villains, of different villains, and we do them for really cheap, and there's no real CG, and there's no, you know, um, flying cars and all that stuff. And go, and I said we should call it DC Black, and and the first one would be Joker, and I want to do it, I want to write it, and I'm going to go off and do this this thing, and it's going to be in the vein and the style of the the 70s. Speak up, is that what somebody said? I was like, I feel I'm speaking loud. So it's going to be in the vein of the uh, style of these 70s movies that. I grew up on, and probably a lot of people in here, the reason we're here are these movies that were made in the 70s and early 80s. Um, and they said, all right, calm down, you're not starting a label here, <laughs> but maybe, maybe do one movie, maybe write it, and we'll look, and we'll, you know, we'll see it. And um, I can feel a label coming. <laughs> maybe. Uh, so then, you know, I hand the script in, and all of a sudden, it's a whole new group of people at studios because a lot of times things, regimes change. And, and mm. like I said, I've been there for 15 years. I think I've been through four or five of those regimes. So then it was about convincing that whole new regime uh, about what this was and making it. Um, but it really came down to keeping it low budget at Warner's low budget, relatively speaking. And um, for them, this is like an independent movie, but it was like... <laughs> $55 million movie, but to them it's like... So it was about keeping the budget low, and, and really we, were, we finally... I, I'm rushing it, but after a six, eight months of sort of dancing through some things, we, we, we were able to convince them to do it. And I mean, it's a bold swing. The movie's crazy. I know it's crazy. I'm not delusional. So I understand their trepidation. I don't mean to be like they had no vision because they really wanted to do it, but they were wrestling with some difficult things in the movie. So finally, they, they did it. But I, I know now, looking back, it was a pretty bold swing on their part as well. Well, I think, thank God, you got Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, he's extraordinary in this film, right? Did that come easily, or was that a <laughs> bit of a... That was a, that was a thing, too, because Joaquin was has always been resistant to, to sort of the standard studio movies. And even though I said this is a comic book movie, but it's not, he read the script and he saw that it wasn't, it still says DC, it's still called Joker. I think if the movie was called Arthur and had nothing to do with it, it would have been an easier thing. Um, but, and he's also just somebody that doesn't, you know, that really wants to talk about it a lot. And I think we spent three months, I spent three months going up to his house. We went through the script, talk about the approach, the thing, you know, and. And then it would end, we'd have a great three-hour meeting, and I thought, he's going to stand up and shake my hand and say, I'm in. And he'd go, what are you doing on Thursday? Can you come back? <laughs> and I said, I'll be here Thursday. And that went on for like three months, because he really could dissect stuff. I jokingly say, Joaquin is the 
tunnel at the end of the light. <laughs> we, would get, <laughs> we would get close and then it would be, so finally Joaquin did it, and yes, the whole movie's Joaquin. It's, like, it's, it's a character study and he's essentially in every frame of the movie, so. It, and how, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you know, how was he on the set? What was that like to be working with him? Did he, could you tone him down? You know, oh my God! Kind of no, he's beyond directable, and he is—he is also not what you think. He's not lost in this character. We spent half the day when we weren't shooting in a corner laughing about stuff—not about the movie, but just you know whatever was going on in life. He has a rancid sense of humor in a, in a great way, and um, we would just—he uh, was really light, believe it or not. And I think he felt really liberated with the size of the movie. I think he thought it was going to be. It's a studio movie. It's a in the in that world, and it was going to be much bigger than it was. And um, I think he he said to me one day, you know, it feels like a student film. That and and he meant that in a, in a in a positive way. We really kept kept it down, you know, thanks to the amazing AD I have, David Webb, and and his team, Larry, my DP, and the whole crew. We really kept it. It felt like a small movie, even though it was a big movie, shooting on the streets of New York and stuff like that. And his movement and the musicality of it is really quite wonderful. How did that evolve? Uh, that the choreography that he starts to that you develop or he develops or you develop together. Well, in one of those three month meetings at his house, I I randomly said to him, I don't. I said a lot of things. Certain things really stuck with him. I don't even necessarily remember saying this. I was just scrambling trying to say things to get him to do it. No, but I did say. You know, Arthur has uh, music in him. Arthur has grace. It's just sort of hidden under this thing. We talked a lot about masks and the mask that we wear out in public and the true self underneath it and how Arthur is really the mask. And when he takes the mask off, he's finally liberated and he's Joker and that music can finally sing, you know. And so it, it expresses in the script, we had only really two points where it was expressed through dance, as crazy as that sounds. And now I think there's like five... <laughs> dance moments in the movie because he really hooked into that. He worked with a great choreographer named Michael Arnold on the two uh, scenes that are in the script were dance ones. But for instance, the, the the very first one in the bathroom really just came on the day of shooting and he just did that. There was no choreographer, there was wow. no anything. Yeah, Because that scene wasn't supposed to be that. So you want me to tell that story quick? I'll tell sure. It. Okay. <laughs> So that scene was written, he kills the guys on the subway. We were just, just to give you an idea of Joaquin, how he works, is guys get killed on the subway, he runs through the street, runs into that grungy bathroom, and uh, the script we had written was, he washes the makeup off his face, he's freaked out, he's gonna hide the gun, he kinda pulls this grate off under the sink and he hides the gun under the grate. So Joaquin and I walked into the set that morning and. And this is how every morning started. We're like, eh, we're really going to do it this way. And, and we started talking about why would Arthur hide the gun? Did he see it in a movie? Does he really concern himself with evidence? It doesn't seem like an Arthur thing. And we sat around for like 45 minutes not knowing what to do, coming up with bad ideas. And sometimes as you do on a set, just scrambling and, and just talking it out. And then I randomly said to him, you know, I got this new piece of music from Hildur. Hildur Gudenitor is the composer. She did an amazing job, I amazing. thought. And, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I said, I got this new piece of music from Hildur the other night. I go, I just want to play it for you. And I literally played it on my iPhone. And we're both listening to it. And Joaquin just starts doing this movement. And so then we realized what it should be. And I called in Jeff Haley, 
who's the A camera operator, and Larry was doing, Larry's the cinematographer, was doing B camera. And I said to Jeff, put Larry in the bathroom stall, just like that, and said <laughs> to Jeff, we didn't even tell him what we were doing. I said, Jeff, just start on his foot. I'm going to play this thing. We stuck a speaker there, and just go. And the operator didn't know what he was going to do, and we must have done only three takes of it, and that's the whole scene. And, and Joaquin just did this dance, and it's the idea of Joker sort of trying to come out of him, you know, that sort of, that shadow thing, that thing. But there's the major dances, and there's a, that sort of little toe-tapping thing that he started to do. I mean, it's, it starts to become a uh, kind of leitmotif of the, uh, of the whole... Yeah, and I think that really came again from that idea that he has a little, we wrote in the script that he has panache, that he has like, there was a romance in Arthur that we just felt, and this is a little bit of the Chaplin stuff. We, we had talked early on about Chaplin. When we were writing the script, one of the things everybody says, oh, it's based, you know, you, you, you borrow, and it's, it's sort of um, um, from these movies of Lumet and Scorsese and these great movies that we grew up on, but one of the first things we looked at when we were writing the script was The Man Who Laughed, which is yeah. a silent film from 1928 that really, we didn't even know it when we were looking at it, but once we started researching it, it actually inspired the original Joker character in the comic books. No kidding. Yeah, which we didn't even know, and then it became this thing. So a lot of like little silent things that we looked at with Joaquin too, like Chaplin, and um, you know. So anyway, he had music in him to answer that. <laughs> and of course, the, uh, the other, it's, they call it Gotham City, but it really was New York as I remember it in 1978 or 79, it really felt legitimately dirty and the, the weight of the city, um, which was really different than what I felt when I was there in 1984 to do Ghostbusters. It's a, it was a really nasty place and you really captured it amazingly. And it, I know how tough it is to shoot in New York and I mean, those chases, never mind the ending, which is remarkable, but even that opening one where the four kids are bashing that thing over his head and yeah. you take him through those streets, those very yeah. energetic, wonderful shots. That was, um, we shot that in Newark, New Jersey, which has this great four block stretch that's still kind of run down. And then Mark Friedberg, who's our production designer and his team came in and just really head to toe, gave us a stretch of two or three blocks that was pretty amazing right. to that we could do those foot chases in that run. Um, but yeah, I mean, with, with Mark and Larry and Mark Bridges, the costume designer, everything was just looking at references, going through books, and really making it feel, my, my sort of edict to the crew in general was, I want the movie to feel like it came out in the summer of 1979 if they made comic book movies in 1979, <laughs> which thankfully they didn't. But, um, and that was sort of the thing, and really to, to actually feel, it, not a movie about that time, but a movie that felt like it came out at that time. I think one of the reasons that we're starting to read about people's worry, worries about the danger of this film, you don't want to be talking about this, is, um, is because it's, it feels so realistic. It doesn't, it's not a comic book. It is really a, a character study and and a very honest look at you know psychosis and craziness and the complexity of life today. And um, you manage to weave this really complex story where he's extraordinarily simp uh, you know he's really sympathetic in the first third. You start to feel him change in the second third, and by the last act, he's really hateful and dangerous and. 
Um, the subtle way that he d does his, the way he does his performances culminating in that extraordinary sequence on Murray Frankel. Thank you, I forgot his name, Murray Frankel's show. Yeah, so what is the question? No, I'm not, I don't mean that, but I... I no, I mean, uh, how are you feeling about, it was wonderful to... Well, okay, so I was surprised, to be totally honest, about it becoming this dangerous thing, but I'm not, again, delusional. I understand what you're saying, like, well, it's because it's realistic violence. But in a weird way to me, and I had said this the other day, and probably got attacked for it, among other things, but to me it almost seemed more responsible way of showing violence, is showing the real world implications of violence. And it hurts. And that it hurts, and that it's ugly, and it's disgusting, and it's like, as opposed to some movies, I think, that where it celebrated the violence, which in, a, in an odd way to me would seem more dangerous, but... Um, you know, it's a tough thing to talk about because I hate to give oxygen to that idea because I don't believe it. I think it's something that was sort of created around this film and people buy into it, it becomes this other thing. And so it's actually a tough thing for us to talk about because it was never the intention. The intention was we made an origin story about a villain where the villain is the hero and you root for him until you can't root for him any longer. And that entirely relied on Joaquin's beautiful performance where he goes from zero to 11. It's not Superman where, you know, he goes into a, phone booth and comes out and he's Joker. That transformation, if you watch the movie again, it really is like taking a volume knob going from zero to 11, um, spinal tap, but yeah, and going <laughs> you know, point one at a time and you feel it coming. So this guy you do sort of love and root for in the beginning, by the end he's a raging narcissist in a way, but yeah, he's the villain. I mean, we were making an origin story about a villain. I'm sorry that you loved him for so long and now you don't. But it, it, he's a villain. He well, had you're to be sympathetic a to him. He has to, well, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, you know, the movie is explaining a little bit. We tried. Well, how do you get like that? What, what you're, you're not born this way. The movie's about many things, but it's also about childhood trauma. It's about lack of love. It's about the loss of empathy and compassion in society and that these things are not created in a vacuum, you know? Well, you, you really created something very special. Thank you. Are you going to make another comedy? Another comedy? Well, this movie also, to me, when I was, was going to be a long-winded answer in the beginning, but it also is about comedy in, in some ways, uh, this film. When you said, well, how would you go from comedy to this? To me, this is a little bit about comedy. It's about comedy and tragedy. And you know as many comedians as I do and, and funny people. We've made movies with a lot of them. There is something a little tragic about a lot of them, not all of them. There's a dark side to a lot of them. And I thought that when we were creating Arthur, that whole idea of him wanting to be a stand-up comedian, being horrible at it is another thing, but that whole <laughs> desire is um, the darkness in him really was something we, we, that I've seen in other comics that really um, resonated. I love the music. Can, you, can we talk about that for just a second? Yeah, I'd love, um, love to talk about that. How... How early did you find her and know about her? I didn't know her. I don't know about her. She hadn't done a lot. So I, I, I was writing the script, and I went and saw Sicario 2, which was fantastic. I'm friends with Stefano Salimo, who directed it. He does his show, Gamora. It's my favorite show. I went and saw uh, Sicario 2 in the theater, and I'm like, God, this score is ridiculous. So I just did this score, and I stay in it. I look it up, obviously, and it's Hildur Gudenitor. It's a woman I had never heard of. Um, I looked it up, her up, I called her agent, I emailed her, and I said, hey, I love what you did, I have this script I'm working on, uh, 
can I send you the script? Maybe you'd be interested in doing it. I sent her the script. She called me on the phone. We talked for 45 minutes. It really affected her. She understood the themes about the compassion, the loss of, the loss of compassion and all those things, the loss of empathy and all the things we were talking about. And I said, you know, I want to try something different if you want to do it. I said, will you just write the score based off the script? I said, I mean, we're talking, we're out three months before we started shooting. I said, just start yeah. writing music now. I had never done that before. I don't know if you have. But it was something I never did before. And she basically sent me hours, maybe two hours of music before we started shooting. And we would play that music on set all the time. Perfect example is the bathroom dance I was talking about. We would play that music Jeff Haley, the operator, had it in his ear, in an earpiece. We would play it when we were looking at playback. We would play it when we were shooting to the much, you know, to yeah, the... Yeah, you can see it, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it was always of, there. The rhythms in the, in the playing. Yeah, so it was really, it really informed it. I mean, the one thing I learned very quickly when you're making a character study about one person, because, again, I had made movies about groups of people before, that everything else is a character. You know, the, 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 the city became a character. The music became a character. Like these things are big characters in the film. I mean, they are always in the movie, but they really take front and center when you're making a movie basically about one person. I'm good. Anybody have any questions? I love it. Oh, go ahead. Hi. The question was about the makeup and, and how we decided on it. It's just such a huge thing, the makeup of Joker. You know, one of the things is we're living in the shadow of four, five, six other Jokers. It's a, it's, it's, it would be, it, it's paralyzing in a way when you think about those other performances for Joaquin or I think about the other films. So we really tried to not look at that. And with the makeup, it was really just a, 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 a lot of tests on Joaquin. First we were doing it on Photoshop with this great concept artist, Hugh Sciotti in New York, who just started coming up with these great looks. And um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the one thing I didn't talk about was it was really important that everything in the movie was ran through a very realistic lens. So the idea that, okay, we're going to make a movie about Joker. Why does he have this laugh? Okay, he has this laugh because he has a condition. Why is his face white and he has you know, green hair? You know, in the comics and in some of the movies, he fell into a vat of acid. I don't believe if you fall into a vat of acid, you're going to have white skin and green hair. So we thought... Well, we make him a clown, a, a clown that wants to be a comedian, and then the clown look will inspire what ultimately becomes Joker. When we released early images on the internet um, of this movie, because we had paparazzi everywhere on the set, and so I started releasing stuff because I hated their pictures. <laughs> and um, people were like, what is this? Joker doesn't have a red nose. They didn't, un they didn't know that we were basing it off this, you know, and so this whole thing came from... The whole Joker look came from the fact that he was a clown and he had this makeup and this is what he used. Uh, so yeah, it was just really a, a series of, of tests and Nikki Lederman, who's our makeup head, uh, came up with this amazing blue for his eyes that I think she created, I forget she gave it a name. And to me, when we found that blue, it was everything. I'm, Thank you. I'm supposed to wrap it up, but I have one more question. The, um, um, did you test the film? Um, early on in the editing? <laughs> That's a comedy director question, because I learned from Ivan, you know, he asked me if we tested the movie, and, you know, because it was a DC movie, they yes. don't like to test it because they don't want secrets to get out and they don't want spoilers or whatever. I've made comedies my whole life. We were, even when you have Final Cut, we rely on those test screenings going up to Northridge and showing it to 500 people. But with this, we never did. Instead, I had 
filmmakers and writers come to the editing room and would show it to literally one or two people at a time, get feedback, work on it. And, and the first time we showed it to a large group of people was at the Venice Film Festival, where we world wow. premiere for 1,800 <laughs> people. And I remember I turned to Jeff Groth, the editor, I'm like, what if it doesn't work? Like, what if we're delusional and it literally doesn't work at all? Well, it sure worked. <laughs> I want to congratulate you Thank on you, making Ivan. an extraordinary movie. Thank you for doing movie. this. And it opened quite well this weekend, if you haven't seen it. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more great Q&As, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.